Welcome to Finance Lab, a podcast for the intellectual investor, powered by Dalbar, an independent financial research firm dedicated to improving the investor experience. Finance Lab is where real investors get practical insight and perspective from real experts. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the fascinating world of finance, exploring topics like investing, financial planning, market trends, and everything in between. We're here to empower you with the tools and knowledge necessary to make informed financial decisions. Hello and welcome to Finance Lab. I'm your host, Corey Clark, Chief Marketing Officer at Talbar. We're here with Artie Green and we're discussing how to invest when you cannot predict the future. So how do we how do we manage the risk? Because we know that we know we can't afford to take no risk. We can't just put the money under our mattress. And it, well, I mean, I suppose if we had enough money, maybe we could. You know, if if we had tens of millions of dollars, I suppose we could put some of those millions of dollars under a mattress or in a bank, and that would be enough. But for the average American, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to to save enough without a rate of return to in- increase that purchasing power. Um, we we know that. Too much risk could have the opposite effect. So there has to be a balancing act, obviously. So how how do you how do you advise your clients? What is your uh, your perspective on how how to properly manage the risk? Yeah. So there is a famous economist named Harry Markowitz, and he uh, developed what is currently called uh, modern portfolio theory, which is pretty much the the methodology that virtually all trained certified financial planners use uh, in, in terms of helping clients invest their money. And the key, which he actually discovered, is diversification, which is a word that most everyone has heard, but to explore it a little bit uh, brings out some very interesting learnings that, that came from his, his work. Okay, Uh, the concept of diversification is simple to understand. Um, The tenet, don't put your eggs, all your eggs in one basket, of course, is all about diversification. And that's exactly how it works. Rather than putting all your savings into a single investment, a single stock, diversify those investments. Okay, if you're talking about stocks, the simplest and easiest way to diversify these days is through mutual funds or exchange traded funds, which are kind of a variation of mutual funds that actually trade on uh, the stock exchanges on a you know hourly basis, just like stocks do. Um, and of course, Dalbar has done lots of research about people investing in mutual funds. If you invest in a mutual fund that covers, let's say, the entire 3,000 or so stocks on the uh, U.S. stock exchange, then you're diversifying your risk. Some stocks go up on any given day, some stocks go down, but you are guaranteed to get the market return every day, every week, every year by investing in a diversified vehicle such as that. And so it's more than just owning more assets or, or m- more individual securities, right? Because these, it's not just that one could, if, if 20 
stocks are better than five, but there needs to be a particular relationship between these assets to, to really mitigate the risk, right? Right. And this is where you get into some of the mathematical learnings from uh, modern portfolio theory. The concept is called correlation. If you have two investments that are totally correlated with each other, what that means is that when one goes up, the other goes up. When one goes down, the other goes down. And so if you invest in both of those, you're not really diversifying your portfolio because both of those investments, they could be two stocks, they could be anything, will go up and down in unison. And so there's no particular value or diversification value in having those. Likewise, if you have two investments, could be stocks, that are completely inversely correlated, that means that when one goes up, the other goes down by the same amount. And when the first one goes down by a certain amount, the second one goes up by the same amount. That's also not beneficial because, in effect, by investing in both of those, you get no return whatsoever because they cancel each other out. What you want is to invest in different investments that are uncorrelated with each other. And that means when one goes up, the other sometimes also goes up, sometimes goes down, and sometimes doesn't change at all, and vice versa. In other words, there's no relationship between when the two go up and down. And you can mathematically show that by adding uncorrelated assets into a portfolio, you will not only reduce the risk, but this is almost counterintuitive, you can actually increase returns as well. So what would be an example of, uh, in real life, of of an asset or asset classes that are um, not perfectly correlated, not negatively correlated, but have no correlation? Can you give an example of that? Yeah, probably the most well-known are uh, fixed income investments, also known as bonds. These are, in fact, bonds have been shown historically to be the very best way to reduce overall portfolio volatility because bond returns are much more predictable than stocks and they're also much less volatile than stocks are. Okay. Well, I feel like I need to play devil's advocate once again uh, because 2022 uh, seemed to be a, a pretty dismal year for both equities and fixed income. So, Artie, I just wanted to get your perspective on what happened in the bond markets in 2022. Why did we see both asset classes uh, essentially tank? Right. And in fact, I agree with you. Um, The bond market in 2022 was actually the uh, worst performance of bonds in history. It wasn't just a bad year. It was an awful year. Um, Now, unlike stock performance, which we cannot predict, as we discussed earlier, we do know what drives bonds. Um, So first, uh, a very quick primer on bonds. Uh, The way bonds work is you, you buy bonds, you give somebody a bunch of money, they agree to pay you interest over time, and then after a certain period of time, give you your money back. Uh, that you gave them to purchase the bond. So bonds have an interesting relationship with interest rates. 
when interest rates go up, bond prices, bond values drop. And when interest rates go down, bond prices or values go up. Okay. I can explain this, but we don't have time in this discussion. Suffice it to say that that's the way they work. Okay. Now, what happened in 2022 was the fact that starting in 2021, inflation started rising. And the Federal Reserve, the Fed, is responsible, among other things, for controlling inflation. And the way they control inflation is by manipulating short-term interest rates. Okay. Now, the Fed got behind the curve of inflation. They thought that inflation originally was just transitory when it first started rearing, and it was going to quickly go away. It didn't for the reasons we discussed a little bit earlier. It started rising very, very rapidly. And so the Fed decided that it had to aggressively start raising short-term interest rates in order to slow down inflation. And the degree to which they raised rates each meeting and the frequency with which they raised rates was unprecedented. The Fed had never done this before since its inception in the 1920s. The result was that rapid increase in interest rates drove bond prices down into the seller. And while bonds and bond mutual funds make money both from the interest and from the capital and from capital gains, those capital losses that were driven by the high interest rates are what caused the massive bond losses, as much as 15% losses, uh, which is the first time I think in 40 years that was even double digit losses and the worst in history. So if you bought a bond for $1,000 and interest rates go up and the, the price goes down, you're not going to get a different interest rate because you've already purchased it at $1,000 and, and the, the coupon that you're getting is the same. So it's, it's not going to help you in, as someone who's already invested in, in the bond. Yeah, but it doesn't hurt you either if you own a bond. As long as you hold the bond to maturity, you will get your money back unless, of course, it's a, it's a type of bond where you're investing in a more risky, credit-worthy you know, company, maybe perhaps, and they go bankrupt. Um, the issue, and the biggest issue, is really with bond mutual funds, which are a very popular way of owning bonds for the same reason that we recommend owning stocks in mutual funds as well to get diversification. When you, when you mix the two, you have you know, bond mutual funds in your portfolio and stock mutual funds in your portfolio. You're really maximizing diversification, at least with respect to those two types of assets. And so it really helps the portfolio. But bond mutual funds really got clobbered in 2022 for the reasons that I described. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because if you're in a bond fund, you're not necessarily holding any particular bond until maturity. Uh, so that's where you, you might be more exposed to uh, the capital gain or loss on the, bo- on the bond itself. Right, right. So you mentioned when you were uh, discussing the Fed's actions in 2021 and 2022, um, you said short-term rates. So I just wanted to get an idea of how do you how do we distinguish between short term and long term? What, what, what do you mean by short term rates uh, with respect to what the Fed was doing? Right. Good question. So 
Uh, bonds have what are called maturities. In fact, there's a term that we use with bonds called duration, which includes maturity and a few other factors. The duration of a bond, uh, to a large extent, is um, when the money comes back to you after you've invested in a bond. There are bonds as short as, they're not called bonds, they're really called bills, that are as short as a week, uh, a month. Uh, there are bonds that are as long as 10 years and even longer than that. And the longer the duration of the bond, the more sensitive it is to interest rates. For example, if interest rates go up by a certain amount, a 10-year bond is going to drop in price or value much greater than a one-year bond will. And vice versa, if interest rates go down, a 10-year bond will go up in value much more than a one-year bond may do that. The Fed only controls short-term rates. And as we've talked about, you know, although the Fed is, was changing short-term rates by rising them very, very rapidly, that does have an effect on long-term rates as well. And it was the driving up of the short-term rates followed by all of the long-term rates going up that caused bonds to collapse to such an extent. And so as, as an investor, how should I be looking at, at bonds today? If I mean, I know we can't predict the future. We don't know what the Fed is going to do. Are they going to continue to raise rates? Are they going to lower rates? Uh, but as an investor, should I be fleeing from bonds based on what I saw last year? Actually, um, I see bonds as probably one of the better investments today. And here's why. Um, first of all, the tenant buy low, sell high, bond prices uh, have been significantly depressed because of the Fed's actions, um, really at, at all durations, at all maturities. So the fact that prices are lower now obviously suggests, well, maybe this is a good time to buy bonds. But at the same time, the Fed has also raised rates to such an extent that you're getting pretty good returns on bonds right now. You know, if you look at bonds two years ago, they were returning on average, you know, one to 2%. Now they're returning five to 6%. And some of the longer bonds are returning even higher than that. So bonds represent today good returns and their prices are relatively low. If the Fed stops raising rates, that's a big if because we don't know what the Fed is going to do. But if the Fed believes that they've gotten inflation under control sufficiently that they can stop raising rates, then what that means is that you will then start getting the kinds of returns from bonds that we haven't seen in more than a decade, five, six, seven percent even. And there's very little risk of bond prices falling because the Fed has stopped raising rates. Now, bond prices can still move up and down simply through market expectations of other drivers, but the Fed is the primary driver of bonds, or, or I should say uh, bond valuations in that sense. So in that sense, it's a good deal. Now, 
If the Fed continues to raise rates, that will continue to put pressure on bond prices. So we won't see very, very good returns on bonds. This year in 2023, uh, you could, you, we had positive returns on many bonds. Uh, the longer ones, no, but the shorter ones, yes. Again, if the Fed stops raising rates, we'll get much better returns. If they continue to raise rates, they probably won't raise them very much. So you still might be able to get some decent returns out of bonds. And what happens then if the Fed reduces rates? Well, the Fed is only likely to start reducing rates if the economy starts slowing down, because the other mandate of the Fed is to try to avoid recessions. And so if it looks like the Fed has raised rates so much that we're heading into a recession, which I see in the media, in the financial media all the time, but of course, they're just guessing like everybody else. If it turns out that the Fed believes we are heading into a recession, they will reduce rates. And reducing rates is doubly positive for bonds. Not only do you get the, the good returns these days from the relatively high bond uh, yields, the four, this five, six, seven percent. But when rates go down, the bond valuations themselves, the values, the, the capital values of the mutual funds and bonds will go up. So you get a double boost on bonds. So I'm very, very optimistic on bonds looking forward at this point. So generally speaking, again, not not with the ability to predict the future, but you think it's more likely that the Fed will slow or stop raising rates in the foreseeable future? I do, of course, as we talked about at the very beginning, nobody can predict what, what will happen. But if inflation continues to be mitigated and the risk of a recession continues to rise, that would put more pressure on the Fed to, if not stabilize rates, actually bring them down. Thanks, Artie. That, that, that was a really good... Uh really good crash course in in uh, bonds which you know we don't tend to talk about as much you know at least in in the media uh, there's a lot more focus on on equities so i think to have a good in-depth substantive discussion on the bond market and how it relates to interest rates is is really valuable and so i really appreciate you taking the time uh, to explain that uh, to our viewers uh, and and to me um, so I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to have a final word because we're just about out of time. Um, so anything that else that you'd like to, to share to sort of supplement what we've talked about here today? Sure. Um, so many, many times I meet people, uh, people who come to our firm or just, you know, people I talk to and they often ask me, well, well, is this really a good time to invest right now? You know, stocks are high, stocks are low, whatever, whatever they happen to be. And my position is, uh, when is the best time to invest? It's right now, whenever now is. Why do I say that? Well, if you think about the capital markets, bonds, stocks, other types of investments, by investing in the capital markets, you're really investing in the American economy or the economy of whatever country you make those investments in. Um, in effect, you're saying we are going to continue to have positive economic growth. And when you look at historically at capital market investing, stock market investing, it's been one of the best way to grow your savings above inflation, as we talked about earlier. Over the last 40 years, stocks have been up over 80% 
of the time as measured year by year. In other words, four out of the five years out of the last 40, stocks have finished positively. They go up and down during the year, but they end positively. Stock market growth is one of the better ways of growing your investments above inflation so that you don't run out of money in your future. And there are even techniques that you can use if you're worried about maybe you have a lot of money, you've just got an inheritance, you want a lottery, whatever it is, you have a lot of money to invest. There are ways of investing so that you don't put it all all your eggs into one basket at one time. It's called dollar cost averaging, but it's just a way of mitigating the risk of actually jumping in at one point. So when we have tools, techniques, approaches like that, my position is this is the right time to invest. It's always the right time to invest. And it's probably one of the better ways that you can grow your money to make sure that you don't run out for what will hopefully be a really enjoyable retirement lifestyle. That's Artie Green of Cognizant Wealth Advisors. Artie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please visit financelab.dalbar.com to connect with today's guest. We'll see you on our next episode of Finance Lab. 